This Cup of Earl Grey is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for creating a blog, website, portfolio, or online store. To create your own space, visit squarespace.com and save 10% by using offer code TREK10. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. It's time for another serving of Earl Grey, our dedicated TNG show. I'm Philip Gilfus, sitting in the center chair this week. I'm joined by my engineer co-host, Darren Moser, who's repairing the holodeck after the problems that we had last week. How's it going down there, Darren? It's it's a tiresome job, Philip, and I just want to let I, I need to put a bulletin out to the rest of the crew. Okay, when you bring snacks and goodies into the holodeck, whether you're watching a movie or having a party, and you turn off the holodeck, guess where those go? They fall right to the floor, and and guess who has to clean those up? Me. So I, I think we need a third setting that's you know not not the death setting and not the life setting it's the no snacks setting i mean really guys it's a communal space let's let's all pitch in and take care of it but i besides that i'm all right okay darren well we'll work on the no outside food or drink sign outside on the arch of the holodeck so we're also joined by our uh, resident nurse and co-host daniel pru uh, how are things going down there in sick bay daniel anything we need to be worried about oh i don't think we should be worried about anything but you know believe it or not Dr. Crusher is kind of a slave driver. So, like, literally me and Nurse Ogawa are the only two nurses for a thousand people. And she doesn't even do her doctorly duties. So we're pretty much the only people on the crew that that fix everyone up. So are you also responsible for raising her son? Well, unfortunately, even though you would think that because she decides to forego that responsibility, she might give it to someone else. But no, she doesn't even let anybody else near Wesley. Oh, okay. Well, understandable. She's very suspicious of any girls he's nearby, even though she wants him to have a normal life. All right. Um, well, today's episode of Earl Grey is a little bit different. We're not going to be talking about any characters or even any subjects specifically. Instead, we're going to be talking about episodes. Star Trek The Next Generation uh, has many acclaimed episodes, from Darmok to The Inner Light, from Best of Both Worlds to All Good Things, and these are episodes that both fans and non-fans love to enjoy. However, each fan, much like myself, Daniel, and Darren, have their own favorite episodes, which others may not like and some may actively hate. So today, on Earl Grey, we will be discussing the top three episodes that we enjoy, or even partially enjoy, and we'll defend them against prosecutor Will Riker in order to prevent their destruction. So, gentlemen, are you ready to defend your episodes? I am ready. Ready. Okay. Uh, I don't think uh, Mr. Riker has come in to put his uh, feet on the desk yet, so we're just going to go ahead and proceed. Um, so we will begin with Darren. Um, what is episode are you going to defend in front of our listening audience today? Well, I'm assuming once he does come in to proceed in this investigation, he'll have several moments of a, a smile will go across his face and then a crestfallen motion as he realizes he can't not defend against such such logic. So, 
But the speaking of Dr. Crusher and her being gone, my first episode is the season three episode Evolution with our favorite resident scientist, Dr. Stubbs and his egg. Uh, it's a interesting episode, to say the least. Uh, you have this very prominent guest star and you it basically goes out and in the dialogue states, Wesley Crusher, you are a wonderkind. You are special. And boy, that, you know, I think for people who don't really enjoy the Wesley character, that kind of hits it right on the head. I mean, the fact that they had to draw that much attention to how special this boy is, I think that's a little, little farther than they need to go. But they have some great chemistry scenes between you know, the crushers and Wesley kind of calls her out on being gone for a year, which must've been an interesting scene to shoot considering Gates McFadden was kind of, you know, let go for a year while she was away at Starfleet medical air quotes. I wonder how uh, Wesley or how will Wheaton delivered that line. If there was any sub subtle extra intent within it but that's uh, the first episode i choose probably not ranking super high i think most people give it like a three out of ten but uh, i i enjoy it well I'll, well hopefully our listeners won't call that episode the leg that da- the egg that darren lay so uh no they won't say anything at all philip they won't say anything at all but no it's a great episode it, it has some amazing visuals of the star being pulled into the other with the you know gaseous matter the best part of that episode is uh, the new uniforms <laughs> that's true it's the beginning of season 3 so they all have their collars you know except for wesley who kind of gets his you know brown unitard <laughs> Uh, no more rainbow for him but a good episode that kind of it, it's interesting how it acts like the beginning of a th- of a season. I mean, they, they have a lot of, well, where have you been the last, you know, whatever. And, oh, and now we're doing this. And, oh, these new upgrades. It's like, okay, we get it. You're starting a new season. But, <laughs> and this would be. Look at this fancy 10 forward that we have. And it's a fun episode because it does deal with kind of new technology that is, you know, prevalent nowadays. I mean, the idea of nanites or nanorobots, you know, that's, that was pretty cutting edge for back in, you know, the late eighties and oh my gosh, what the devil is that? Uh, Hey now, come on. It's, uh, it's stars and stripes forever by John Philip Sousa. Uh, I I can't turn it off. We we can't podcast like this. Turn off your microphone or something. I'll just have to cut power to the, to the podcast. Oh, there we go. Oh, Oh. Oh. oh, oh! Sorry goodness. about that. I think some nanites might have gotten into into my computer. I'll I'll have to you know eradicate the upper memory core. But uh, but you know parts just like that. It, it's had a lot of fun. You know, it taught us all about playing baseball in our heads. You know, for for talking so much about you know now that I think about it, I think Doctor Stubbs must have had a very tragic and terrible experience on the holodeck, which is not uncommon, and thus decided to never enter it again and play all of his baseball games inside his mind. Oh, you didn't read that chapter in that unauthorized biography about him, about what happened to him on the holodeck, on board that? Oh, you gotta read it. That's true. That must be where that information lies. So, like I said, it's not the most shining example of Star Trek. And honestly, Darren, you might be under-exaggerating to the, the highest degree of all time when you say that people who have a problem with Wesley might 
have a problem with this episode because we, <laughs> we aren't just told that he's a wonderkind once. We are repe- we are beaten over the head with it in this episode. And, and I think that's many people's problem with it. And, and I understand it. I'm probably a little more in your camp where I don't mind it so much. But I mean... I mean, there's like two or three scenes dedicated to how impressive and cool Wesley is. And it's interesting that for people who complain about Wesley saving the ship all the time, you know, this is one of the few times he actively caused the problem. You know, <laughs> he may have ended up saving it, but he also caused the problem. So, you know, it's 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 sometimes uh, his fault as well as his solution. The one scene I think this episode was missing, though, was the confrontation scene between Wesley and Stubbs because they kind of have a bit of a rapport. But then Wesley is directly responsible for possibly the loss of this man's life work. And he he doesn't say a thing to him. He he just focuses on, whoa, let's just eradicate him. But not like, dang it, you wonderkin brat. I am going to shove you out an airlock if you don't fix what you broke. Needless to say. Nanites are people too. Apparently. I mean, again, it's another instance of Picard going, well, it may or may not be intelligent, so we can't do anything. <laughs> I like that there was a timeline on how long those nanites were going to survive. It's like, you know what? We tried, and you know what? Let's go ahead and kill them. And they was like, wait, hold on, hold on. I, I think we got something. Like, if Data had, had waited like five seconds, they would have been gone. If Data had been under the Benzite philosophy of waiting until he had a full translation matrix, they would have been dead because that would have taken way too long, and Worf was about ready to push the button. All right. Well, I think you have submitted your evidence for evolution, and we'll we'll let the uh, judgment come down here later. Worf is always ready to push the button. <laughs> That's all he ever does. <laughs> all right, so Daniel, what is your first episode to defend? Okay, this might be a little unorthodox. I don't know. I actually am very willing to defend, even though I know it's a very faulty episode, I kind of have a special place in my heart for Farpoint, Counter at Farpoint. A lot of people kind of rag on it, and it does have a lot of problems, but I actually really enjoy it. And, I mean, it's I can still... To this day, sit down and watch the episode and and really like what it's doing and what it's kind of setting up and what it's trying to do and, and even appreciate it for some of its faults that it has. So and uh, it's the first appearance we get of a of a, an original series cast member in TNG. So you can't forget that. So now are you a Q fan um, or is it just in general you like the, the whole episode? He's a Sasa separation fan. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, I mean, actually, I'm I'm actually a really big fan of Q, and well, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into that in a in a Q centric episode of Earl Grey. Maybe it'll be Q Grey or or something like something clever. I can't come up with off the top of my head. But how about the Q and the Grey? Oh, to the journey. Okay, um, to the journey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's not even the part that I that I really like about uh, Encounter Farpoint. Um. I don't know. I'm I'm really willing to forgive its faults. I I I just I, I you know Data's really creepy and he's smiling all the time and Picard's really grumpy and yeah. <laughs> and and there are a lot of issues with it and and if you have any Wesley problems, well, you'll definitely have it in, in that episode because he's the the snot nosiest kid ish he'll ever get in that episode for sure. But I, I'm I'm okay with that and and. Uh, you know, and honestly, it's the first time we get the, a TOS crossover character. 
in in any of the in any of the episodes. So I actually I don't mind Encounter at the Far Point like a lot of people seem to. You know, I, I think the interesting thing about Encounter, um, at least from what I've read and heard, is that originally uh, Roddenberry and the powers that be, or at least the the show powers, had thought it was going to be an hour p- premiere, but then the uh, whatever Paramount or whoever said no, it's going to be two hours. And so Q wasn't even in there. So Q was added in order to, to pad another hour into Encounter because originally it was just a straight episode of, you know, the station and all that. So That makes a lot of sense because if you think about it, Q doesn't actually interact with that part of the story. He just kind of sits on the sidelines and says, here's a mystery. You must figure it out. And fire phasers at it. Yeah, it's good. I like it. It's good. I, I, I actually, that's my, the, I actually think the Q part of the episode is the stronger part of the episode. I don't think anybody cares about space jellyfish, really. I mean, I don't. Well, when you mentioned that episode, I think the only feelings I could feel were joy and great happiness. Joy <laughs> and great happiness. <laughs> joy, joy and gratitude. Gratitude. Extreme <laughs> gratitude. And it's one of the few episodes that we get to visit twice, both in Encounter and in All Good Things. And I actually really, really really love the encounter parts of the all good things episode i th- i i just love them going back to that and like you're just seeing what's happening around the corner i love that like you have that interaction between o'brien and data this is this is not the all good things episode i'm sure we'll get into that but i, I really like that yeah and it's in, i wonder how uh marina sirtis felt about getting back into the uh skirt there and and the hair for you know seven years later after she'd abandoned it well, I didn't mind it, so. <laughs> She's like, I'll have to work on my legs for that episode. All right. Okay, well, now it's it's come to me. And um, sticking with season one, yes, folks, I'm going to do it. I'm here to defend Justice. So Justice, the much maligned episode of the Sexy Time Planet. But, you know, watching this episode, the reason that I really enjoy it, and I think that, that people should t- give it another chance, is that it is the ultimate prime directive episode yes that's right daniel the ultimate prime directive episode because i mean here's the point okay yes it's west so if you don't like wesley you're gonna have issues but nevertheless so west you know does the small transgression here on the planet and this is with the edo the very you know sexy time people the small transgression you know falls in the thing well on the edo planet as everyone may remember all punishments are by death from the and you have this big guardian in space but picard captain picard is faced with his greatest prime directive conflict does he keep to the prime directive and not interfere and allow one of his crew members to die? Or does he just say, no, I'm going to break it? Like, you know, and, and I think this is the part of, of really exploring early on what is this about, the prime directive. And Captain Picard, who we stereotype as this great protector of, and defender of the prime directive, he's the one that ends up arguing, well, there's shades of gray of the prime directive because that's the, the whole point of justice because – the Starfleet and Captain Picard are being judged by this Edo guardian by our own rules. And it's always easy for us to break our own rules. But when we have someone else looking at us, like if you're a parent, you have a small child, you know, looking at you to break every rule that you've set down or, you know, whether it's public, you know, you're a public servant, you have the audience, you know, whatever. Here it is. Does Starfleet live up to its credo? Does the Federation live up to its prime directive when you have the guardian saying, look, you either follow the prime directive or you don't. If you don't, then we're going to have issues. But Picard makes the the claim and the issues that justice, real justice, is that there can't be absolute punishments, that there have to be exceptions in law and the way that we do things. And so, I mean, I, I think to me, it's there's so many analogies and metaphors that justice is used in other settings in international law 
in and in domestic law and in, in our way that we view justice in, in, in the modern society. So, so go ahead, hit me with your, your justice complaints. All right, I'll, I'll go first. <laughs> Did you guys have some sort of meeting before, before this episode where you talked about how we had to pick Wesley episodes that reference baseball <laughs> in some way? Well, well, I am wearing the sweater today, so... Because I, I don't have any Wesley episodes, and I don't have any baseball episodes, so I don't know, maybe I am I just missed the memo, or what, but... Oh, man, you know, I mean, you're right about what, what Justice deals with. I mean, all Star Trek, not all Star Trek, I shouldn't say that, but most Star Trek deals with big issues and 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 things. So, I mean, you know, you can take any, you, you could probably take Shades of Grey and... and, and pull something out of it i'm sure but the, the problem with justice is in its execution i don't know it's i guess you're right in a way i mean but it's so poorly executed i mean they're all running around all the all over the place and you can tell that the our, our main cast members might not be used to running so much like Riker gets really winded in that episode and I don't know. I don't know. I guess i can't quantify it but it is not certainly not my favorite episode well for all those um cardio activities that they do on that planet they really have to keep up their exercise in the games that they play and, and then also and, and again I, i'm picking on you daniel but not really you know we've talked about who watches the watchers because this episode not only deals with the prime directive it also deals with religion because it talks about how these Edo folks deal with this guardian because who they view explicitly as god and so it it's really reminds me that maybe there are some seeds planted in this episode that were sort of done and maybe you would argue done better in Who Watches the Watchers with Prime Directive and Religion. I, I I don't think anybody would argue against the fact that it was done better in Who Watches the Watchers. I mean, you're right. There is a they, they actually they, they are kind of similar in a lot of ways. Like he brings up, you know, a a lady from the planet and and has to try to to sh- to open her eyes and it doesn't work. And and you're right there. That is that's interesting. I've never really thought of uh, of Justice as a proto watchers episode but that's pretty interesting unless darren's gonna throw some things at me two special notes uh not by name but by actor lieutenant carey from voyager is in this episode as an ensign at tactical so i like to believe that's ensign carey before he was later assigned to voyager and this also has one of my favorite and hand quoting that parts of the early season of enterprise where you have Jordy being ordered to look out the window like you know can't use our sensors Jordy, Jordy, what do you see Jordy just gets out of the con goes to another room probably takes a turbo lift to it looks out the window using his visor and reports back which i think is hilarious and, and funny all right well send your 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 complaints about justice being the most wonderful episode to me all right so now we'll go to our our second round of episodes to defend all right dan what's your second episode she is coming. You must fear her. She will kill us all. I am going to defend the episode of season seven, Masks, because Masaka is coming, and only Corgano can drive her away. Man, this one is is definitely there. I think it ranks as a two out of ten for many people's uh, many people's rankings. But I once you look past. Some of the obvious uh, just story flaws. It's actually a fun episode. It's brilliantly acted by Brent Spiner. If you look past the why the heck is Data supposedly having a whole civilization in his head and yet only representing three to four people at most with his nice little, you know, name tag on the middle of his chest to identify who is who. But it's fun because 
in a way, it's a Picard mystery episode. And Picard sure loves a mystery. He he enjoys breaking down archaeological pieces and you know who what's better than he he found an archaeological dig in the middle of a comet just floating there i mean he's like captain's log or personal log today is an awesome day i didn't have to even go to a planet to do my archaeology it just came across in a comet who knew but uh but i i saw both of you guys kind of real because i think like i said this episode is listed amongst the worst in tng Actually, when you said that, I was actually afraid you were going to talk about Ardra and and another horrible episode. So just wait. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, let's let's not ruin anything. Yeah. You know, I was interesting. I just met. I went to one of my first meetings ever of an actual Star Trek fan club, which I've never been to one in person. So it was my first time. And a, a gentleman I was talking to, he said Masks was actually one of his favorite episodes. So, so Darren, you you have at least one other person in your corner. I think it's it's enjoyable. In the fact that, like I said, there there are definitely plot points and that that are hard to get around. But just if you look at the Enterprise slowly changing, and that's kind of interesting. Like, okay, now, and you can tell, oh, the con turned into this pile of rocks, and oh, Picard's chair turned into this rock, and and that temple they construct at the end was pretty impressive. You know, with the the it's very Aztecian. You know, a lot of sun, moon, god. Uh, I think one of the complaints many people have with masks is that it almost seems too simple a mystery. Uh, like as a viewer, you're going, oh, they're the sun and the moon. It's obvious. Like, come on, Picard, figure it out. But in a way, it's nice for them to make a simple mystery that us, the audience, can figure out before the characters. And that's very difficult to do where often we're getting the same information that they are, but it's very hard to communicate enough that an audience member could actually figure it out before Jean-Luc Picard. So in that regard, I, I applaud, applaud them for making a mystery that's simple enough that we can figure out. So, Darren, you said this episode was fun? It, it is fun. It, you enjoy, like I said, the mystery aspects. You get Data really, or Brent Spiner more, really showing his acting chops. I mean, when he's jumping back and forth between... You know, the old man and Ehad. It's pretty fun because you really get to see the versatilitude that comes out of out of Brent Spiner. But what what what's not fun about it, Daniel? I, I, I well, I mean, unless you're a masochist, I guess. I mean, to me, it's just oh, it's painful. There are a few episodes in Star Trek that I'm embarrassed to watch. That I'll, I will start watching them, and it's like, like if some, I, I know, I know, if somebody walks in the room when I'm watching a certain episode, I will turn it off. I will put on, uh, you know, Jersey Shore instead. I, you know, anything else on the television. I don't care what it is. I don't want people to associate this with me. And Masks to me is one of those episodes where it's like, it is, it is painful, painful for me to view. <laughs> I, you know, and, and we will disagree, but it's just rough to watch. I will say, though, I would definitely not introduce someone to Star Trek with this episode. <laughs> I mean, I think all the episodes Thank goodness. that many of the episodes we'll be discussing tonight would not fall into that category. But some people consider season seven having great episodes, but also some just kind of run out of steam. You can tell they're kind of at the end of their run. I mean, I won't drop any names as 
some of those may show up later in this episode, but <laughs> but I think masks it's definitely it's almost a guilty pleasure. It's something that's just fun if you just take it out of the context of a Star Trek episode. And it's a fun mystery and and the masks aspect is kind of interesting. Although probably the best scene of that is the beginning where Data is working on his creativity and Counselor Troy asks him, you know, make music and he's like, "Counselor, music is an abstract, you know, form of vibrations and sounds and she kind of looks at him like deal with it and and he makes a note out of the clay and she gets <laughs> she smiles and goes it's a start and it's like oh you disappointed the troy <laughs> and she's you know although there was a scene cut right around then which was a little disjointed where they're you know they're in the clay workshop because apparently there's a whole section of the enterprise d just de- dedicated to people making clay sculptures probably for captain picard day. Well, well that's yeah exactly (laughs) and so then they they cut away to being on the bridge or doing something else and then literally the next scene they're back in there and he's working on something else and i'm think he's making his mask and i'm like okay it it feels like you shot all of this and then you inserted a scene in between like i can't believe counselor troy would happen to be back there at the exact same time as Data, he's working on his his mask. So only on the flagship is there a dedicated clay room. I just you know that's it's a great place to be if you're in Starfleet. All right, well Daniel, before you uh, tear off Darren's arm during this hearing, uh, what is your second episode to defend, Daniel? Well, Philip, as we know, all good Klingons go to Stovacor, and all bad Klingons. Go to Grethor, right? And they have to spend all their time with Fekalar, who was in Devil's Due, which is my next episode, which you previewed just a little bit earlier. And uh, I don't hate this episode. I really actually kind of like it. I, I actually think, and now I didn't, I'm sorry if I didn't prepare adequately, but the woman in that episode, I actually think she's kind of like a poor man's Vosh, but but a very, very good imitation of it. I think... Ardra. Ardra, thank you. Yes, that's right. We mentioned it earlier. I think she, her chemistry with, with Picard is very good. I think she could have been an interesting recurring character. I think she would have been kind of like the, maybe like a Harry Mudd-esque character of the of TNG. And she, uh, unfortunately, she never came back, even though it's very heavily implied in that episode that she may. Um, but uh, I actually really like that episode. It's kind of a cool mystery. Like, oh, you know, there's this thousand-year contract and the devil's coming back to pay. And... And air to collect. Can you imagine De- Jada on his fiddle, just starting out with the devil comes down to Ventax uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. Two. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. There are some some bad parts of the episode, but I actually really think it's a really super strong episode, and and I don't know why anybody hates on it. <laughs> yeah, I, I I haven't watched it recently, and so my 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 I always give a caveat that if I haven't seen an episode recently, I leave it open that my opinion may change but i definitely remember not liking that episode <laughs> I, you know, I think it's it's sort of the um uh, might be that the the, the ardor character is a little thinly done and picard is sort of this big powerful person that has to you know be with this godlike 
person who no one I don't know if anyone ever believes that she's telling the truth from the get go, but but it's 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 interesting. You know, it is sort of a I I do like the end part where Picard's like, ah, I have powers too. Well, I mean, the, everybody on that planet believes her. I mean, she was about to get away with it if the Enterprise happened to not be in orbit. They would have totally. Are you saying this is a Scooby Doo Star Trek episode? Like, <laughs> Archer would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those pesky Enterprise and that bald captain. Yeah, it's true. It's great. And uh oh, and there's that golden golden moment between uh when uh, between Picard and Data, and I'm not going to remember the exact line. Data is the judge, the arbiter in that situation and uh you know, he very firmly tells Picard, "You can't, you're not allowed to do that." And then and then kind of looks away and looks back at him, "Sir." It's great. I love that scene and and I actually really I I do. I really enjoy that episode. I think one of the parts I do like about that episode is just her technology and when they kind of are describing you know how she has kind of a uh implanted hud inside her eyes and she's selecting things with her movements and i'm like oh that's that's actually pretty cool and that that was an interesting aspect and then once picard starts to replicate things and just owns her that's a fun that's a fun scene where he's like oh what if you do this and he he you know, he snaps his fingers and uh, does he snap his fingers? I can't remember if he, I think he that's does his movement. Yeah. Does he cue it? Allah, Allah, he cues it. <laughs> and that's just a fun, fun aspect. And it's it's fun to see Picard go up against this almost immovable force. And he just he's Picard all the way. You know, nothing ruffles those pips. <laughs> oh, great. OK, well, I will move on to my second episode, which I, I, I think I'm already going to get a rise at least out of one of you, if not both. But it is my one of my favorite all time TNG episodes. And that is, well, it's my number one episode. Rascals. I love this episode. I love it to death. Yeah. You know, this is the episode where the 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 very odd but entertaining combination i think they they did the picard or the the character dartboard here with picard keiko guinan and roe all get transformed into children and it is it is i think it's a hilarious episode it does have a big small problem which i'll talk about but it's hilarious and i think it, it it's, you have this issue you know picard's now a child so the crew now has to take him seriously as a child and you see them struggle with it you see Riker going like uh yeah you're picard but you're also a 12 year old i don't know what to do and to see kid kid picard order or earl gray kid guinan is awesome kid roe is awesome kid keiko is slightly interesting but still she has her moment <laughs> where, where, she, where she's slightly interesting where she's still so much better than what she normally is. <laughs> well she still gets to boss around miles and he's like well i don't know if i can and she's like miles edward o'brien and he's like oh yes ma'am oh yes ma'am but but i just love it i, I mean there is sort of a, a serious storyline there for those who want to find it um with roe because roe having this terrible childhood as a bajoran you know under the occupation and guinan Kid Guinan is sort of teaching her, hey, now is your time to be a kid. Jump on the bed. Be silly. And, you know, Roe, who's always, you know, very, and I, and I know uh, Daniel likes Roe, and he can talk more about this, but Roe is sort of a very controlled character. So but she gets to, you know, be a child. And, and I just think it's awesome. You know, the, obviously the whole in this episode is that the Ferengi take over the Enterprise way too easily, as as Odo reminds Worf in a DS9 episode. So yeah, that, that's that's a, that's a loophole. But still, watching the Ferengi, you know, anytime a ship is retaken over by the crew, it's also almost always an awesome episode. And so to watch the kids take over the, the Enterprise, and then, I mean, that, 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 the, the thing I just referenced with P- Picard losing his, you just see, you can just see Patrick Stewart as that kid going, 
I'm going to have to pretend to be a kid and do a tantrum. And I want to see my father. Now, now, now. And then, you know, having to, to pretend to be Riker. And the thing I love about Riker, which I, I think I, I'm, I'm having problems with Riker, but one thing Riker does that I always love, anytime Picard is uncomfortable, Riker gets this big, huge grin on his face, and he does it in this episode. And so, I, I, and the last thing I'll say, Kid Picard gets what I think is the Harrison Ford Air Force One line at the end. You know, y'all remember Air Force One, get off my plane. Here at the end, Kid Picard has the ready room with his phaser and tells the daemon, I believe you're in my chair. And it is just, I, I had this hilarious episode. I love it. I love it. I love it. I like how, you know, when they're having their discussion in the observation lounge and he accidentally calls him number one and then they look at each other like oh, is he gonna figure it out i'm thinking what do the fragging know they don't know anything <laughs> they're not like wait wait let me look that up wait that means something that captain picard calls his first no they don't know that doesn't four pips mean a captain no it's just a pajama for kids okay you're my number one dad <laughs> to cross streams with like deep space nine i, I would have loved to seen an episode where you get o'brien and Worf sitting at Quark's just reminiscing about the crazy stuff they went through on the Enterprise D. And they could mention this, like, remember that time my wife was turned into a, a, a small child? He's like, yes, I do. I think that would have been a great, I know it would have been 100% fan service, but I think that would have been a great Deep Space Nine episode to because you have these two characters. And think of all the stuff that O'Brien has seen. Oh, man, that would have been a great, you know, fly in the wall in in Quark's bar. I, I'm not going to give you any grief about this episode, Philip. It it is an episode that I publicly roll my eyes at, but I <laughs> I do very much enjoy it. I mean, guilty pleasure. You know, it is. It really is. Like you know, you know, you see these kids, and you're like, this is going to be so. St-. And like the concept is so dumb. It's like it's it's so <laughs> stupid. But you watch it, and you just you like you realize 20 minutes in that you're smiling and you've been smiling for 15 minutes and you it's just one of those kinds of episodes and and maybe we shouldn't feel guilty about it but it's just you're right i i I won't give you any grief so so daniel am i getting that you like this episode so for the record daniel prue liked an episode that features alexander rozinko done it's in the record it's in the record no 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 (laughs) you're okay and I can I can easily I can easily debunk that because this episode features Roe and Ro, my love for Roe overrules my hatred for Alexander. So and 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 I will challenge anyone, including the Orb guys, Chris and Matt. They have names. Yeah, Chris and Matt. <laughs> the Orb guys. The Orb guys. <laughs> Anson Roe in whatever like seven episodes of TNG, better character than all seven seasons. Of Kira. Done. It's said. Wow. It's out there. All right, shields up. Go to red alert. We may be attacked by the Defiant at any moment here. Tough little Uh ship. (laughs) 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 And one last thing I'll say. There's actually a hilarious part, because you actually never see Guinan in a shuttle. And so at the beginning of this episode, she's wearing her trademark Guinan hat. And so when the shuttle is suffering, (laughs) it's moving around, she has to hold her hat the whole time, which I think is hilarious. So, but anyway, but yeah, and, and you know, look, the kids did brilliant. Kids, I mean, the kid actors, look, you have to be this character who we've known for about three and a half years. They did excellent, hit it out of the park, uh, or more than three and a half years. Well, Rascals sorry. was Before season five, six, yeah. so that was six years of established mannerisms they had to get down. 
Yeah, I mean, I thought they they did awesome. I mean, I think even the Keiko character did. You know, all you have to do is boss around <laughs> Miles O'Brien, and you got it. <laughs> Which apparently isn't hard, but... All right. Well, we'll, we'll move to our last round here. So, uh, all right, here we go. So, the, the last round to defend. Right, we'll start. Mr. Dare. All right. Well, I went with another season seven episode, and it's probably not the one you think, because uh, I think I want to save that for uh, a, a different episode of Earl Grey. But I, I rewatched this again today, and it's not as low ranking as my other two choices, but I'm on a train to New Verdeform City. <laughs> and almost the well, almost one of the last episodes of TNG was Emergence, and it basically the Enterprise... They don't exactly explain it, it, whether it went through some cloud. They kind of make a passing reference to a cloud. But all of a sudden, hey, it's going to start forming an emergent intelligence. And these weird little nodes are going to start connecting the dots of all the ship systems. And it's going to basically form its own brain all routed through the holodeck. Although the great the best part of this episode is in the beginning where the holodeck starting to act up a little bit as a train comes barreling through data's play practice and picard says well let's take all the holodecks offline for good measure and run a diagnostic thank you it took seven seasons to figure out that's the proper response but hey although it then it when you're when you do that to the holodeck and it turns itself back on that's when you know you have a problem but it's a fun it's a fun episode again it's a mystery episode they're trying to figure out what is going on you know, and and it basically, you could tell the writers kind of just wandered through the the Paramount prop lot and, and said, "Hmm, there's a suit of armor. Hmm, there's a gunslinger. Let's put those in a in a set together." And because that's basically what the trade is like. It's this you know ragtag grouping of whatever was in the back room. You could tell, but and and when they're you know at the first city, uh, when they're putting the brick in the wall. Oh my gosh, backlot. Oh my gosh, it feels so much like a backlot. It's ridiculous. But you get that great scene where Data's stopping the taxi because he's Data and he's just, the guy's trying to run him over. He's just holding it because he's a, he's an android and he's like, I've encountered a minor difficulty, but I'm dealing with it. And it was fun. Everyone got to do things. Worf got to shovel coal. And, you know, it, it's a fun episode. I, I, like I said, I think that ranks around kind of a 5 out of 10. Not everyone's favorite, but it's a fun, like, it's, like I said, it's a fun mystery. And it, it's very quotable. And, you know, some of, the, some of the good episodes, you can tell they're good because they're quotable. And there's a lot of quotes that come out of New Vortiform City. Yeah, I, I think this is the episode where the ship comes alive, question mark? You know, that's the one where it's like, but what? You, the ship comes alive. You're, uh, okay, do any of the other ships ever come alive? No, no. So just this episode. Yeah, yeah. And then it wasn't alive after this. No, no. Wait, what? Although, again, just like in Evolution, you have, oh, well, the ship might be making a life form. Let's not interfere with it because we can't kill something that may or may not be alive. It's it's pretty, it has a lot of parallels. They both begin with E, Evolution, and Emergence. You know, they probably would have used the word Evolution if it hadn't been taken. Let's not forget, and this is important, I think a lot of people maybe criticize this concept, but essentially the Doctor is an extension of Voyager. And we consider him to be alive, especially towards the end of this series of, of Voyager. And so it's not an absurd, you know, in the context of TNG at the end of the series, yeah, it's, it's a weird one-off episode. But in the context of Star Trek, 
it's certainly not a, a crazy idea. It's certainly, I would think, plausible. So if the Enterprise D is alive, did Troy commit murder in Generations? <laughs> she made well, it amputate call... its head, its toupee, and then <laughs> crashed it into the planet. <laughs> well, and, and like I said, it does have its own plot holes. And, you know, at the end, when they direct it towards a nebula and are going to try to create some more, you know, Verderon particles and Picard just like, okay, fire the torpedo. I'm thinking, wait, I thought like all your systems were basically not under your control. So how did you just fire a torpedo? You know, but it, it works and, and Jordy's got stuff to do. You know, they utilize Worf, which unfortunately Worf's often very underutilized and he, he, he looked like the strongest member of the crew and I would have him shovel some coal. I think he, he definitely could handle it, but, but well played by the supporting characters. I think all the characters on the train, the, the conductor was a very interesting character. Like I would have loved him to show up in some other holograms. And I think, uh, the only the only missed opportunity in this episode, if they're going to have many programs running at once, why couldn't we have the big goodbye also going? I think someone needed to say, hey, where's Dix? You know, that that would have just sealed the deal. Well, here's my question. Wasn't each holographic character supposed to represent a system of the ship? So where was the character to represent Citation Ops? That's true. That's true. I think uh, in the caboose. In the caboose, in the in the dining car, there's a goldfish uh, sitting on in the windowsill, and uh, that that represents Livingston. Awesome, awesome. Okay, well, all right. Well, Daniel, what is your last episode to defend before the uh, judge makes his or her uh, decision? Uh, okay, so I'm going to take a little bit of exception to the question you just asked. We are a TNG podcast, uh, remember, so everything TNG is included. So my final choice is actually going to be Nemesis. I think that it is, especially by someone like you, Philip, it's unfairly maligned. Well, first of all, it features Romulans, so it already is plus one in my book. Plus, by people like me, you mean redheads? (laughs) I mean angry, angry people about Nemesis, Philip, that's it. And, uh, you know, it's it's a heavily data-featured movie. We get to see some Enterprise carnage. That was great. I mean, up until the last 10 minutes of the movie, I don't really have that many problems with it. And and people think it... I think people, like, really rag on it. And I, I actually think it's a decent movie. I think it's as good, if not better, than Generations. Yeah, okay. Oh, Lordy. All right. No, I mean, I, you know, if... If you like it, I, I can't argue with you. Like, if you like, it, you like. <laughs> but I, I guess my problems with Nemesis, which I haven't seen recently, but I'm I'm gonna stay with my opinion here. Um, is I mean, one, the whole mind raping Troy. We kind of did that already in Violations, in that episode. Yeah, but we did Insurrection in Who Watches the Watchers. Yeah, but this was you know we had an episode called First Contact. Come on, all of these. <laughs> we ha- we did the whole kirk thing for three seasons and five movies in gener before generations so come on all of these ideas are recycled and there's the ferengi episode where they're trying to get at picard with the fake son i mean fake clone trying to take over picard mm-hmm. it, it, it's they basically opened up the series bible and said okay page 5 8 12 and 14 let's uh shuffle that into a script that's that's how we're going to end the next generation ever is with a uh... With the Shades of Grey episode, basically, is what you're telling me. Ouch. Because <laughs> I'm, like, I'm... <laughs> they didn't know. Uh, you know, this... 
and I won't rag Nemesis. I'll say I'll say what I liked about Nemesis to support you, and then I'll say roll my eyes. Um, I I mean I did like that they finally okay let's put uh let's wrap a bow on some of these things. Okay, you know Riker and Troy their bizarre weirdo relationship finally gets you know conjugated and you know gets promoted goes to the Titan. That's great. I like that. Beverly for some reason after being fired from Starfleet Medical, I guess after seven years had a chance to prove her competence and is go- once again going to Starfleet Medical. So there was a sense of moving on. Why Data didn't get promoted? I mean the positronic ceiling. Once again, in Starfleet, the man is the only person who has been offered promotion in the entire series. But anyway. He's only been in service for 27 years, Philip. Jeez, give him some time. <laughs> I guess. That long lieutenant commander rank is not honorary, and yet. But I just, the, the sort of the, the clone, the Picard actually had hair when he was young, the execution. It's, it's just, I don't know. It's, you know, you like what you like, but I, I just, just sort of had some, some issues with it. I mean, I did like exploring the Romulans, which we talked about previously on that episode and the Remans and all that, but uh, the execution for me just didn't work at all, especially this was the last one. And you know, you wanted to end on Star Trek six, not Star Trek five. That's my only point. Oh, whoa, whoa, wow. whoa. Wow. Shots fired. Shields up. Come on now. No, there are no shields up because they just ram the ship into the other <laughs> ship. Oh, and Captain, Captain Card being a little kid in his little remote control car. Uh, are you? Hang on, hang on. Are you calling Nemesis the Star Trek Five? Oh, you're you are you, sir. I am sorry. Mutiny, mutiny. Get off the ship. I'll promote it to motion picture. Are you happy? Are you happy? All right, Daniel. All right, that's a good one. You know, I'm tempted to put Star Trek Insurrection now as my choice just because you went with Nemesis, but I'll save it. I'll save it. So instead, my final episode that I'll defend, which I don't, I don't know if people think it's a bad episode, but I just really enjoy it and finding it meaningful, and that's the bonding, for, which I, I feel like I've like killed any comic tone that was in this episode just by saying that title name but for those who don't remember the bonding is the episode where uh, one of the a person dies on an away mission and we have to deal with the fact that she has a uh, orphan not just a person lieutenant astor a very important character that everybody cares very deeply oh, about. Did, did you know her well daniel uh why do you ask the question i i, I think darren was asking it before and so i just have to repeat it but yeah this is the episode where, where lieutenant astor dies and we have to deal with jeremy her orphan son, because the father had died earlier. And to me, the reason I find this episode so meaningful is I did, and here's a quick self-promotion, I did an article on Trek FM about whether children should be on uh, the Enterprise D, and which I approached it kind of like, oh, I think they should be. But then after looking at the bonding, I'm like, no. I mean, I agree, because Picard has this meaningful point, which, I mean, I took it to meaning, and we can talk about it, where, you know, as, as captain of the ship, he's the one that has to give the news, you know, to family members when, when someone is lost. And so he's traveling with Troy in the turbo lift or down the hall or whatever, off to tell Jeremy. And he's like, you know, this is the reason we shouldn't have children, you know. And, and, and Deanna's like, well, you know, it doesn't matter whether he's on a ship or on Earth. You know, you can't protect him regardless of if he's on Earth. He's like, look, we don't sh- send the Earth to the Romulans. We don't send the Earth to the neutral zone. You know, and, and did, did, you know, Lieutenant Astor made the choice to serve. Did Jeremy make that choice? And and I, I feel like that's almost a strong argument for not having children and families because, you know, Starfleet, I feel like, again, not to make this all serious, you know, Starfleet, we think it's really fun to, be, to explore, to go on all these missions, but you can die. If you're in Starfleet, you're putting your life on the line, and this is what happens. And you don't know when. You could be a Lieutenant Yar or a Lieutenant Astor and have a meaningless death, not this kind of cool blaze of glory or, or whatever death. But, you know, you just die for just some stupid accident. And 
and but I think there's a great moments between Picard and West because we never had that Wesley con, uh, confronting Picard about Jack his father's death. I mean, it was always there. But this is when we explicitly say, Wes, this is the man who was in some way responsible for your father's death. What do you think about that? And and Wes had that confrontation with him, and and you t- saw where Bev and or Beverly and Wesley finally had that kind of moments to talk about Jack, which I mean, because they never really talk about Jack, and and I thought that was poignant. And then you had Worf, who's also an orphan, um, talking about with Troy, you know what it, which I thought that was an interesting moment with Troy because he's like, I don't want to share my feelings, and Troy's like, Well, the captain shares his feelings with me. Don't you want to be a captain? Well, if it's good enough for the captain, it's good enough for you, and so. He learns to talk about it and talks and has that relationship with Jeremy and, and wants to go into this Klingon ceremony, which I think the funny part to me about this episode is he mentions, was it the Rustog? I think I might be mispronouncing it. And everyone just instantly knows, oh, you mean the Klingon bonding ceremony? Like, really, is that common? Do people know their Klingon bonding ceremonies? But anyway, and I also love it. I thought they had a lot of things that they didn't speak about <laughs> with outsiders. Well, I also love how this is a preview of um, Worf's parental duties, because just like Alexander, he abandons Jeremy and never talks to him again. But anyway, but seriously, I, I do love this episode because I think it's meaningful and it brings the reality of what serving in Starfleet means. The reason that that everybody knows what the ceremony is is because it's mandatory off our work to create candles. Oh, someone's going to perform this ritual and you're like, oh man, I've got to put in like four hours of overtime this week because the stupid Klingon ritual requires 32,000 candles. You know, it's not widely known, but in Starfleet, every tactical officer has their own supply of candles. I mean, you see it with Lieutenant Tuvok on Voyager and you see it with Lieutenant Worf here. So it's actually a perk, perk of the job there. I don't think Odo ever had candles did he he wasn't starfleet he could turn into a candle oh, he could turn into a candle as well as <laughs> a candle that that never burns i guess yeah and kira had a candle so did i kill the tone by bringing up this episode no no it, it's an interesting episode because i don't i don't dislike it either and to be fair it gives us mr ronald moore right i believe this was the episode that he wrote or, or came in on i think oh man if i'm wrong the people are gonna ring me out but i believe it i believe this is the episode that he is his first episode that he wrote and so we wouldn't have a lot of later tng a lot of uh, deep space nine and certainly not the the new version of battlestar galactica without this episode so i mean there there's a lot to to thank it for but uh and i don't rag on it either but it, it is an episode with no consequences unfortunately i mean it would have been nice to see the return of jeremy astor later on but we don't get it yeah and i think probably what turns me turn people off is it is a super serious episode i mean there's no very few light moments i mean this is this is like this is dealing with death and so i think if you've experienced loss in your own life you may find this a cathartic episode or you may find it an annoying episode and if you haven't experienced loss then you probably don't identify with this much as, as i've killed the mood i will now move on so those are sort of our, our our three episodes we've all done here so um i think the judge is still in his chambers or her chambers. so uh, we're gonna do some final thoughts and we're gonna do that by doing some honorable mentions so um we, we won't be able to give the full case it'll just be a summary judgment so i'm just gonna keep it to two episodes the so two other episodes that if we had another hour to talk about you would also defend so first we'll go with darren well this one I don't think it's a bad episode, and I don't think people generally think it's a bad episode, but I think you guys think it's a bad episode, so... I, I definitely want to defend the gambit. I, I The season seven episode, again, Picard mystery, you know, everyone 
it's just such a good episode. You get Riker's kind of fish out of water. He's got to adapt. He's really good at that. You put Data in the captain's chair. Always a good episode when you put Data in command. So I don't know what you guys have against the gambit, but I think it's one of my favorite episodes in all of Star Trek, both one and two. So that's my my honorable mention. All right. Well, we'll 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 let all comments aside for the moment. This is closing thoughts. Daniel, what is, what is your final honorable mention episode? So I really have a soft spot for one one zero zero one zero zero one. It's actually one of the first episodes I remember seeing, and probably probably the episode I've seen the most. Honestly, strangely enough. Uh, out of all the episodes in Star Trek: The Next Generation, and uh, I think it's a good. I think it's a great episode. Actually, I'm gonna say it. It's a great season one episode. It stands right up there with uh, you know, where No Man Has Gone Before. So, all right. And I think my uh, my one episode I'll do as an honorable mention, just to annoy Daniel, is a matter of time. One of my favorite episodes ever. No, it's just one of my favorite episodes. This features the time traveling man from. New Jersey, Max. <laughs> yes, and I Rasputin. Yes, Max Hedrum. Um, but but I I love that episode of it's just a comedy to me. Um, and also deals with the temporal prime directive. The first time we really hear about that, you know, Picard basically invents that. Says, well, surely you're familiar with the prime directive. Well, there must be a temporal version of it, to, you know. And so I actually know that entire speech, which I won't do right now. Every choice we make allows us to manipulate the future. Anyway, okay. But anyway, that that that's it for my for my my episode. So anyway, appreciate you all sharing your defenses of these episodes we'll see whether um we get any judgments of guilty or not guilty in our feedback you know it's it's been fun talking about these episodes but this is just one of the trek topics that we've been talking about here on the trek fm uh, here's a quick look at what else you may have missed elsewhere on the network previously on trek.fm the orb looking for parlock in all the wrong places well and you also get the feeling here that she's only re- i mean Worf really is only being rejected because she's not interested it has nothing to do with whether or not Worf is Klingon enough or any of that. She's just not interested. She's interested in Quark. Earl Grey. The Holodeck. Alexander Rojinko was conceived on the holodeck. <laughs> That's exactly right. In Worf's calisthenics program with Skeletor watching because he was just frozen there and he couldn't look away. The Ready Room. The Man Trap. Well, it wasn't what Roddenberry wanted to do with it. It was what uh, the the writer, George Clayton Johnson, wanted to do with it. But it was basically making the character more sympathetic. To the journey! The Doctor. But I love that moment when Chakotay, like, uh, was projecting himself into the room. And, like, he, he totally, like, kneels down and gets super serious and calm like Chakotay does. He's like, he's like, what you've shown us is it's not what you're made of. What, what you do or how you feel, you know? Like, you just start to get, like, <laughs> and like even in like season two, they start to realize the Doctor is not just a hologram; he is becoming something more. Commentary: Trek stars. Caprica. Prequels are sort of uh, a constant trap that people end up going to. You know, the, this thing was successful uh, and it ended. Well, let's go before it ended and tell a different story. Warp five. Klingons on Enterprise. Having. The Klingons at the very beginning of the series running through that field. Do you think that was born out of the discomfort that the studio had in the idea of the prequel series to begin with? Trek news and views. The Naked Time. Bold shirts are easily ripped and disposable. Yeah. Blue shirts self-replicate so that they you know show no damage. And red shirts whisk away sweat. Yeah, yeah. they're highly absorbent. 
There you go. So that you can't tell that your security awesome. guards are nervous. Literary treks. David R. George III, Revelation and Dust. And it feels like an evolution for Starfleet as well in the way that they built a star base. Well, I'm glad that came across because that was sort of one of the things that I was going for. You wanted to be an evolution in Starfleet's construction of star bases. Mm-hmm. It should be something brand new. And because it's an important station, because it's in an important location, it, it really needed to be, I thought, uh, a grand station. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Be sure to check out these shows to include the brand new Trek FM podcast, Standard Orbit, which is all about the original series of Star Trek, and get in on the Daily Trek Talk. You'll find them and the others on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, or you can stream and download the files straight from the Trek FM website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. We wish good luck to Drew and Mike on Standard Orbit and look forward to meeting them in the Nexus. We want to thank listeners Mike Crate and Sean Perry for their thoughts on Captain Picard and The Next Generation that they left on the Earl Grey show page. Thanks for listening, and keep the comments coming. We love them. Please give us a rating and feedback on iTunes so other Next Generation fans can help find our show. And if you'd like to contact us to share your thoughts on today's show, just go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there, and you can choose to send to show and choose Earl Grey. That will come to all three of us by email. You can also use the tab on the right-hand side of any page to send us a voicemail using your webcam's microphone. And you can talk to us and other listeners in our forums at trek.fm slash forums. In social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm and on Twitter under username trek.fm. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor for today's show. Squarespace is the web's best hosting and CMS that makes it simple for you to create a beautiful blog, website, portfolio, online store, or anything else you can imagine. I know I've been playing around with Squarespace, and I know Daniel has also been playing around with Squarespace, and I know Darren's a fan too. I've been trying out the free trial myself. So join with the Earl Grey crew and create your own space today. Just go to squarespace.com for your free 14-day trial, no credit cards required, and just use the offer code TREK10 to save 10%. You're going to love it, and we really thank Squarespace for their support of Earl Grey and Trek.fm. Also, if you would like to personally support Earl Grey, the network, and our programming, visit Trek.fm donate. We have eight alien-themed badges and art prints as a thank you for your contribution, and you can mix and match badges and art prints. There are different levels of donation to choose from, and your contributions help us cover the cost of production, storage, and bandwidth needed to bring Earl Grey and other shows to you each and every week. So, Darren, if other, if some people want to yell at you for the episodes you chose today, where can they find you on the internet? Oh, I'd love to have a discussion about these episodes and more, and you can find me on Twitter at Dr. Sci-Fi, D-R-S-C-I-F-I, or find some of my other work at DrSciFi.com, where I have my own podcast about sci-fi, space exploration, and just talking about that genre. All right, awesome. And Daniel, if you're fellow fans of the last film, I don't know if you're called Nemesis's or Nemesi or whatever, where can they find you on the internet? I would just call us Star Trek The Next Generation fans, um, but you could find uh, me on Twitter, one up dan that is the number one not the word and i'm on there tweeting about all sorts of neat nerdy things uh right now a lot about pokemon but uh anything you want to talk about you can find me on there all right and if anyone wants to tweet me why star trek insurrection is better you can find me on twitter at handle nc 
public servant. That's NC Lake, North Carolina. Or you can find some of my articles on trek.fm. Well, gentlemen, I see the judge returning from their chambers about to make the final decision. So until we find out whether we're innocent or guilty, make it so. Live long and prosper. Yeah, engage. Fire. Fire.